Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny is excited to welcome back to the show guest Susan B. Clark, this time with a brand new memoir, Crazy, Cracked, Warm, and Deep. So tune in and hear Susan's incredible journey of pulling the pieces together after intense childhood trauma and stage four cancer. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Well, I'm really excited to speak with our guest today. Um, She is actually a repeat guest on Sunny in Seattle. Um, You may know her from the dynamic duo, uh, Susan B. Clark and Chris Marie Campbell. Um, They have uh, several books um, or two books out and a podcast, all with the same name, The Beauty of Conflict. Um, And one is The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, and also The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So you may recognize Susan from her appearances talking about that work. But Susan is back on Sunny in Seattle today because she has just released a new personal memoir. Um, and I was really uh, intrigued uh, when she sent me the little email that notifying me about this and was really um, looking forward to bringing her on and talking about this because this is a little different than the work that, or um, I guess not different than the work that she's been doing, but maybe different from how you have known her work before. So you'll get a more in-depth um, understanding and connection with Susan uh, based on this memoir. So I'll just read you her official bio, and then we will bring her on and talk a bit about this memoir called Crazy, Cracked, Warm, and Deep. Okay, so Susan B. Clark is a coach, consultant, and group facilitator. Since her own transformational health journey, she's focused her life on living fully in each moment and creating fulfilling relationships. Her passion comes in working with people to help them value differences, bring more of themselves to everything they do, and engage in the power of people working collectively together. With her partner, Chris Murray Campbell, she started Thrive, Inc., and together they have written two books, The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, and also The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. She lives in Whitefish, Montana, and enjoys being out in nature, playing and learning from horses and her two dogs, Rosie and Zuzu. Um, Again, the name of the new memoir that we're going to be talking about here today is Crazy, Cracked, Warm, and Deep, and you can find out more about Susan uh, through her website site, actually the website she shares with Chris Marie Campbell for their work at Thrive. It is called thriveinc.com. That is thriveinc.com. Um, and we are going to have a little uh, little freebie here for you here today um, that I want to make you aware of. And I'll go ahead and mention it now, but I'll mention it again once you know we've had a chance to speak with Susan so you get um, an idea of what all that she does out in the world. Um, so if you go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up, that's thriveinc.com forward slash speak up, you will find there a speak up kit. And so we'll hear more about that uh, later in the show. But for now, let's welcome back to Sunny in Seattle, Susan B. Clark. Hi, Susan. 
Hey, Sunny. I'm excited to be here. Hey, so. fun to have you back. Um, I, yes. You know, you've been on the show before, and you were also, you and Chris Marie, when you were here, um, you literally were here in Seattle, and I had the joy of getting to welcome you in the studio, which is always a special treat. <laughs> it was. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, that show, Chris Marie reminded me of this. She said, that was one of the first times I'd heard you talk as much about some of this backstory you're going to hear today. Really? Um, uh, on a, on you know on the radio and not that it was the first time I'd started sharing it but it was probably that was a that was pretty important moment for me because I didn't usually talk about it from that perspective and she said that was the most concise I'd ever heard you share some of the backstory so wow it, you know you have served a, a a piece of this that you didn't even know about well you know, I love so. hearing that and it was it was such a special connection and I I also just feel like uh, uh, just sharing a little bit, even going further back than that, that um, when I first became a, uh, I guess, a part of the Martha Beck community by signing up for life coach training and then doing master coach training, but I was in life coach training in 2013 and 2014, I guess it was a nine month thing. And during that 2014 year, um, back in the day, Martha used to do conferences. I mean, of course, pre-pandemic, there was one scheduled uh, in 2020 that was canceled, unfortunately. But in any event, she used to do them somewhat regularly. And there was a 2014, I believe, conference in San Diego, California. Uh, yes. Yes. And you probably don't remember this, but I remember it because I know that within the Martha Beck community, there are certain master coaches and certain of the folks in that community who are out in the world just doing amazing things. And you and Chris Marie were one of those components. And I remember I sat next to you in a um, one of the little breakout sessions that was led by Martha Jo Atkins. Um, it was like you really did go to the root of the story. That's where <laughs> yeah. crazy cracked warm and deep was birth. The title. Are you <laughs> kidding? I was going to ask about that. Okay, so it's no accident that I'm bringing up my origin story with you and Chris Marie. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but too. I was kind of fangirling out because I was like, oh my gosh, it's Susan and Chris Marie. I knew you know you all did some really great work in the world, and so. <laughs> Anyway, well, okay, then I'm curious how, okay, well, Martha Jo Atkins, by the way, is one of the most mystical, <laughs> amazing, shiny humans in the Martha Beck community, in my, uh, in my opinion. She's been on the show before. Her work centers around death and dying, and she wrote a wonderful book called The Signposts of Dying. She does D School, which the D stands for death. So anyway, she, but she also has this really mystical side, too. She's a PhD, but she's, you know, yeah. so this workshop or this breakout session, I, if I remember correctly, it had to do with, like, mediumship and connecting with the other side of the veil so okay so now I'm going to throw it to you and say wait how did the story or the title of the book come from that <laughs> okay well uh, it may it may have been a different breakout with Martha mm. a different but close enough okay okay sorry I did I did do I think Martha Beck did two summits and there was one oh. that we were at where we were speaking and there was one I think prior to that where I just came and was a part of um Chris Marie was doing her masters and I was mm -hmm. doing so anyway, mm -hmm. I came and that was the one where she did a thing around Elizabeth Kubler-Ross death and dying, a, a workshop yeah. where she put these pieces together. You, you, you imagined yourself writing and then you saw the title and I saw this title of crazy cracked, warm and deep. And it was Martha. Jo we were talking cause we had such a connection. Cause I actually worked with 
uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross back in the day when I had cancer. She was one of the people who was significant to altering my life. And so Martha and I had become, we connected on that right away. And so that's why I had gone to her, that first workshop. And that's where Crazy Cracked Warm and Deep just, it was a visual, like I see it. It was this Mandela coming together of these pieces of, of my life. And so, you know, move forward. And I do remember the one you're talking about as well, because it was kind of like, I, it was like one of those experiences where things happen that you can't really explain, mm-hmm. but they happen. And that happens for me. It's happened to me a number of times with Martha Jo. So, but ah. the book title had come from that previous one. So not quite as close to the origin story, but close enough. Exactly. A away. You <laughs> yes. know, I call it, you know. <laughs> and Martha Jo being a common denominator in so many yes, things. You know. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, that's wonderful. And then, then I have to also ask, because you just shared about the title, one of the other things that stood out to me when I read the book this week was the cover artwork. Yeah. Um, it is very unusual, but very powerful. Um, oh. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Well, yeah, that, uh, so I, another woman who I know, Sue Mirhead, she's the artist mm-hmm. of this particular piece. And interestingly enough, like 25 years ago, we met at a, I was leading a program she was in and she launched her art. She was, you know, her, mm-hmm. the, into the world. And she does amazing work and we've stayed connected over the years, just in mm-hmm. different ways. And when I was thinking of this, of the book, I was like, I, I had a visual before of it being like a Mandela coming together. Mm-hmm. But really what I knew was, um, I had seen Sue's work and I was like, this is way more representative of mm. what it feels like to me. And so she gave me permission to use the art and she's, you know, we, we talk about it all the time because she's kind of done with art in her paintings mm-hmm. and things like that. She's done an amazing, she's worked through all sorts of history of hers and different things through these types of images. And I've done it through writing in a different way. And so it was yes. kind of a perfect combination where we're actually looking at doing a workshop together around the, the artist and the author around Crazy Cracked Warm and Deep because she's you know, just such an extraordinary gift in the way that she puts her life into form. So yeah, you know, in a living way. So yeah, I love the I love the image as well. Oh, so. I think that is such a great idea for an event between the two of you. Um, I gosh, that I was like, I don't think I've ever even heard of that. But that yeah, I could see that being a really cool thing. Huh. Very good. Well, when neither of us is very good at setting dates and getting things organized. So who knows when it will happen? But, you know, maybe on. Chris Marie can facilitate yeah, all there of we that. Go. Speaking That's... of which, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, so Chris Marie, so the last time I had you on, of course, it was with Chris Marie and it was oh. the book uh, that you, one of the, the Beauty of Conflict books that you all created together. This time around, this is, of course, your personal memoir, but Chris Marie wrote the foreword. And I, I want to share a quote from the foreword, sure. um, if that's okay, and then ask a, a question about it. Um, well, first of all, you know, when she talks about in the in your in the foreword that she wrote for the book that this is this is a book not about winning but about living. And then further on, she says, "If Susan would let me anywhere near this text with my editor's pencil, I'd be all over this manuscript, editing, reorganizing, making quote sense out of it, based on my desire to make things look good." 
Thank God she's kept me out of it. This book definitely feels messy to me, unscripted even in parts, and yet I come away with a felt sense of the magic and power and vulnerability and surrender and a clear sense of how to practice this in my own life. And and you spoke, you know, in your email to me about this is a nonlinear story yes. of of pros and and it, almost fractal like I think is one of the ways yes. you describe it. Can you speak a little bit about what what <laughs> Chris Marie is talking about in that forward? Well, I mean, one, it it it's so true. She was like, you know, she so wanted to edit everything. <laughs> I would be like, you cannot no, you cannot edit. And so that that's when I said, but you could write the forward. Go ahead and do what you want to do there. <laughs> and, and um, you know, because so I mean, one of the challenges of this book for me has been, it's been in pieces for, because it's, it's, it's sort of been how I've lived my life is trying to pull the pieces together. And they never mm -hmm. seemed to fit in a way that made sense. It wasn't linear. Often in my world, even when I did bring things forward, I got confronted and felt crazy. So it was like, mm -hmm. I, I really did have this fear of, I don't want it to be like a linear timeline. That's not going to mm -hmm. work for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have a good one anyway. So that, I mean, it never really did. Like Chris Marie talks about, she goes, yeah, your life was kind of put together with duct tape. It seems like, you know, <laughs> you sort of threw pieces in and, and I keep trying to make sense of it too. Even she would say, you, you have to be more clear. Did that happen or did this happen? And when did this happen? And I was like, I can't do that. That's not how, that's not how I know my life. And, yeah. and so she would, you know, um, she would say, okay, well, you know, we, in the work we do, we're out in the world as people kind of leading and, and she's like, it has to make sense. People have to be able to follow it. Yeah. And I was like, well, that, if, you know, that probably is not going to work. <laughs> but then as we talked more about vulnerability and surrender, you know, she's like, I really get this is, this is what you do well. If, if I don't have to make you make it up, I say, you know, she says, if I don't have to get the facts in line, it, it's a, a fact versus a fractal is kind of mm -hmm. where some of this idea comes, comes from. Because fractals don't look like uh, perfect. They're yeah. always moving. Yeah. And yet they are perfect. You know, they have this perfection in them in the sense that they're continually keeping their patterns going forward in a way that actually makes life possible. Yes. And we get stuck in facts. Like, does this make sense? Does it? You, we look backwards instead of forwards, really, or instead of being present. Yes. And fractals are in the present and they don't look perfect, but yeah. they are living. So that's kind of where it came from. And, yeah. you know, winning looks perfect, but yes. living doesn't. Living is more like a fractal. It's not perfect. Yes. That yeah. That, that makes so much sense. And, it, and in reading Chris Marie's forward also when she talks about, you know, making things look good. And, and of course, you all both have these stellar resumes and just, you know, you've worked with these C-suite folks for years. And I notice I'm saying this because I, I witness this in my own life. There is often when you are putting yourself out there like that, this desire to control people's perception of who you are and the story. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's from codependency, at least in my life. I see that <laughs> anyway. So I think it was I, I just I have to commend you for putting yourself out there in the way that feels the most authentic to you. Um, and even even if it doesn't follow that linear thing that we, you know, as humans, oh. you know, want or want to make it look a certain way, I guess. 
Oh, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, that has been one of the biggest challenges is how to put, put, keep putting myself out there in a real way, not in a perfect way. And I think part of why I finally did this book really was because I work with so many people who that is also their biggest pain point is trying to be, to do it well, to keep the resume right, to keep the, mm-hmm. you know, be on brand or whatever people say now in leadership yeah. too, you know? And it's like, wow, that is going to cost you if you keep thinking that that's the, the path, yeah. you know? And, and I've actually even, a couple people that I've talked to who do more leadership things, they struggled with whether I could be on their show or not. Cause it's like, I don't know if this is really a leadership book. And mm. I'm kind of like, okay, I'll just keep working with, you know, I'm not committed to this being, I'm not committed to this being a bestseller. I just want people to look at it and see it doesn't think things don't have to be perfect. And even leaders, I love some of the feedback I've gotten from some, some of my clients who I didn't even know were reading the book. So, <laughs> you know, I really, I'm so glad you wrote this because I want to learn how to live crazy, cracked, warm, and deep. I don't yes. want to keep doing the same thing I do. And that was kind of like, that's kind of the best return on the investment for me that I could ask for. Like, yeah, it's not about the perfection. Yeah, so. exactly. And that that was one of the things I think you said. Yeah, you you wrote um, when we were initially corresponding, you said with the craziness of today's world and the struggle I witness every day with clients who feel broken or somehow less than perfect, the book needed to fly without anything perfect in it, a fractal <laughs> like in nature. And I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. that's yeah so that's probably my you know what I would want most is for people to see well if you wait for something to be perfect you it's you're missing the opportunity which is possibly right there in front of you in terms of connecting and being relational in the world versus being right and looking good and yeah you know very different yeah and that (laughs) that concept um that was one of the things I definitely want to talk about but this will just take us right into the heart of your story uh, this this idea or this di- the distinction between being right and being relational and choosing which one is going to work for you um, yes. so can you I, I'm again this is going to take us into the intense heart of your story but can you tell us a little bit about what that means to you being relational versus being right and why that is such a theme in the book well I mean I think you know, that's something I had to grow into over time for sure, Mm -hmm. because early in my life, I would, you know, I, I was confronted by so many things. I mean, the way I sort of survived my, my world without really knowing that this is how I was surviving my world was literally, I would just not, I, I, I would kind of show up and just like, I think I wrote about this in the book. Like when I was in high school, I was the only white kid in my school. So if there was any odd things about me, I could sort of just say, uh, all white people are like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in different, there's so many different times in my life where I just basically probably lied about how I got there without mm-hmm. really realizing I was lying just to be able to, oh, no, I'm okay. No, you don't. Yeah. That's how everyone is who looks like me. Or, And it wasn't until I got cancer like, I don't, I don't think this story's in the book, but I started to have this dream where I would wake up at my own funeral and I would, people would be showing up and, mm. um, 
But they'd talk to each other and go, well, that's not the Susan I knew, so I must be at the wrong place. And in this dream, mm -hmm. by the end, of the, the end of the dream, I'd wake up and no one would be there because it was like uh, no one. And I realized I had this dream like a, a number of different times. It was like a, one of those nightmares that wakes, wakes you up sweaty. And, like, and I realized I don't even know who I am because wow. I've had so many different versions that I've told people to try to just, you know, when people say, who are you? And if they can't, if it's like, that doesn't make any sense, then you, I just had learned to cover whatever I had to say to make it okay. Yeah. But I had no idea who I was. And the cancers sort of confronted me with, you're going to have to figure out something, you know, yeah. like, cause you're going to die just like that. And no one's going to be, know who you are, you know, you're, you know, cause the stories you've told don't make any sense. Right. And, um, so, you know, there was some stuff with my cancers where I had to look at, oh, you have had a past that you're not talking about. Yes. And then I tried to get understanding about what that past was like by talking to people. But a lot of times that just blew up in my face. You know, I got, you know, that's when all the hell kind of broke loose. I hope it's okay that I use that word, but that's yeah. where things Just nothing worse apart. than that one. <laughs> that one. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, you know, just to, 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 um, I guess, kind of frame this part of the conversation. You were diagnosed in your 20s with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's pretty serious diagnosis. At some right. point, you were told it was terminal because the treatments weren't working. Right. Um, okay. And, and it was during this time in your life that um, uh, medical doctors made some discoveries um, that suggested that you had been sexually assaulted at some time in your life, right. which you were not, you, to that point, you'd never even been sexually active as a, right. as a young adult or teenager. So this had to have been from way before. And then some memories started surfacing of something that happened to you when you were four, um, right. which was, it, it sounds like you had a near death experience during that incident. Um, if I read the book correctly. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, this was kind of the, the thing that I was working, my doctors at one mm -hmm. point couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So I, they mm -hmm. had sent me to a psychologist, a therapist, yeah. and I was working with my therapist and it was actually in working with her at this point. I didn't believe in any of this, but I finally just, she kept saying, this isn't, you keep answering this question around mm -hmm. and it doesn't make any sense. And finally I just broke into tears and I said, I don't know what happened to me. And it was like, she, she actually said, this is the first time I think you're telling, telling me the mm. truth here. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and that's a good thing. Like, cause maybe you don't know. And actually it was probably with, I mean, I don't know timeline. So just yep, remember yep. it's yeah. always, but yeah. somewhere shortly thereafter, I woke up in this memory of what happened when I was four. And I remember uh, you know, it's a memory. So it's all these fragmented pieces, but I knew who was involved. I knew it. I'd been raped. I'd been in this pool of blood. I was just a, you know, and I remember, um, ending up in the hospital. And that is actually one of the more horrible parts of it for me was, I guess mm -hmm. when I woke up the, I thought I was in a safe place, but mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the people that were there were like, you'll be so grateful. This, this, person saved your life and it, I could hear his voice and I knew it was the guy that had actually, it was the, it was the, the perpetrator. King. Yeah. yeah. And I actually knew in that moment, n nothing is safe. Cause I, I could see, you know, yeah. 
uh, you know, uh, I think in the book I called it desolation because it did just feel like cut off completely. Mm-hmm. And so that memory, um, I, there was no, I mean, I did go back to try to find out and understand, is there anything that medically makes sense? And there was something about me falling out of a tree, but, you know, nothing that, so, and, and no one believed me, you know, it was kind of like, and so it was still sort of like, I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm not, you know, the same thing with, I had a different blood type than my dad. So there was all this confusion that was coming mm. through the medical model that it was like, okay, no one wants to talk to me about this either. So, and, and every time I bring it up, I get confronted with, you don't know what you're talking about to the point where eventually it became threatening. So mm. yeah, I just tried to, okay, well, as I tell these stories, I'm getting healthier. So I have to sort of come to some sort of grips they either have some truth in them or um this is i'm getting healthier so you know die of cancer you'd be better off dead or kind of put the pieces together the best you can and yes and it sounds like you had mentioned elizabeth kubler ross earlier on and i thought this is just such the 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 coolest element um to to know that you were able to work with her personally if i remember correctly you didn't know her from adam and (laughs) basically your doctor had just told you that you were terminal in your 20s with this cancer and you didn't have the money to go to this workshop by this woman elizabeth kubler ross who's that and so you reached out to her she gave you a scholarship you were one of two individuals there who actually had cancer. The rest were healthcare professionals. And so you got like this amazing, undivided attention from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. <laughs> well, well, you know, I think really the truth is I got her attention not because there were only two of us in the room. There were like 92 people there. Yeah. But but what what she used to do in those times were these very cathartic experiences because she yeah. wanted people to really dive into their emotions. Yeah. And, you know, all I remember was there was this, you know, every, it seemed like everyone, I don't really know exactly what was happening. We're dealing with their anger. It was a whole process. You couldn't leave the room. It was kind of an interesting kind of Mm. during that day, you could kind of do that. And I, I guess, checked out. Like, Mm. I don't remember what happened exactly. All I remember was her in my face saying, come with me now get, you know, like this, she's a little Swedish woman. She's not, you know, but I, I, and I, I just kind of went to where, you know, followed her. Cause she was like you. And then she was like, in my face, you, you have had some sort of experience that you don't remember. Like that's, you know, and you, you can live or you can die, but you got, it, it would, it might help you if you dealt with whatever that was, you know, she was very confrontive. And yes. then she said, cause Right now, you're just dying because you've been told you're going to die. Yes. And you, you really, I, I could die tomorrow, but I'm not focused on dying. So it's up to you whether you choose to live or die. She was very blunt, very like, um, <clears throat> so make that decision. And I, I just like I really did get in that moment, oh, choice, living, dying. It's this show up now and figure that out was kind of her message to me. And I was like, oh. Yes. Well, um, you took that. You you took that message to heart. It sounds like, Um, and and the that's another interesting thing is I think most people associate Elizabeth Kubler Ross with her work on the five stages. I know there's a six now, um, added by one of her proteges, David Kessler, I think. Um, Anyway, but that I didn't know 
well, I guess to back up, one of the things she told you, you said she launched into talking about the importance of emotions and releasing feelings. She commented how people were most reluctant to express anger. She believed expressing emotions has everything to do with health. So her work was not just about how to die gracefully. It was about how not to die. And I don't I don't think I've ever heard that before about her work except from you. Yeah, it's I mean, her work is at the root of what people do with um, I think it's William Bridges change and transition management, very different lens, yeah. but the same idea. And yeah, yeah, people, I think, did think she was more focused on just dying versus yeah. living. Yeah. And that, you know, I, that, that was not my experience of her at all. So, you know, and, you know, again, the pieces I put together may be different than the pieces that other people remember. But I, I mean, I had that experience with her and then I actually did reconnect to her before because she, I just, I took people to hear her talk, yeah. you know, because it had had such a profound effect on, for me. But the thing about it was I would actually go with people and they did not hear the same message I did. Huh. And I thought, and I remember talking to her afterwards and she said, you know, people don't hear things about death and dying or the, the type of work, what you're talking about until they're ready. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that they did not hear me talking about death and dying. And you did. Because mm-hmm. sometimes people, it's just, and yeah. I thought that was really wild. I was like, okay, all yeah. right, I'll believe you, <laughs> you know? So, um, <laughs> So, so I do think that's, I don't, I don't know why that, that had a very profound effect for me, but I could tell the people in my life that weren't facing the same things did not hear the same message. Yes. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where, I mean, I think for me in my life, uh, some of those things, those traumatic events really, um, maybe opened up some channels of hearing and listening and mm. the in a way that other people, we all have access to, but maybe you don't, people don't have that same access, you know? And so I thought I was crazy, you know? It's like, I mean, I hear music when I work with horses, but I don't usually tell people that because it's like that, you know, it's like, okay, you'd think that was weird. But I, my life has taught me that some of these things I call crazy are just the way that I survived. And if I don't have to prove them, but just live them. It's like okay, um, I can I can use that to sort support me living in the moment relationally. Like so, because that's where we go back to the question: What's the relational or right? Yes. You know, if I don't have to, if I just know I'm sane, I'm not crazy. That was a mm-hmm. big flipping point for me. I can mm-hmm. be sane, and that doesn't mean that anyone has to believe me. But that's a way for me to step into being relational. Because yes. I don't have to be right. Yes. I just have to know that, oh, I've done what I can do to understand and live my story. It doesn't have to be, it, I don't have to prove it. I just have to live it. Yes. And, that, and then if I am willing to do that, I can be relational because then I don't have to worry about somebody else's story. Like with my own family, it took me 10 years to ever reconnect because it was like, Anytime I'd have any connection, I'd feel, I just, it would feel like I couldn't have both my story. I didn't have enough sense of my own sanity or saneness to sort of, oh, I could have empathy. You have a whole different view of the world, a whole different 
if I don't have to make this about me and I just listen to how you put the pieces together, I can feel. And that was the moment with my mom when I finally got, she's not lying to me. She's doing the best she can to pull the pieces of her life together. And my story is having this impact on her. Wow. I'm curious about that. So I didn't have to, I could, I could have a relationship with her. And that was, that was really more a turning point than in my life than actually anyone finally connecting to me about what I thought had happened in my past. I mean, really? Yeah. You know, because I'd kind of given up on anyone ever validating my past. I was just like, I'm just living this thing forward because I mean, I, I, I could kind of get some proof by all the stuff that was happening. People that were challenging it. There must be something to this because why do people want me dead? But this is not, um, but at the same time, I really had no concrete. I just thought people thought I was crazy. Yeah. It, you know, so even the first thing that sh- shifted for me was this experience with my mom where I was like, oh, I don't have to, I can have empathy. Oh, mm. it's not about being right. I don't even know whether she doesn't even have to believe me. We just have to listen to each other. And that, because, you know, my life is independent upon her at this point telling me anything. And so that was where I really got, oh, that's what it means to be relational. And then, I mean, a few years back, I did mm-hmm. actually get some confirmation from somebody else who grew up with me. That was the beginning of this story where we, you know, this, we knew each other from years ago. And yeah. she knew that moment when I was four years old from a whole different perspective. She was in I mean, the we house. We didn't talk about it literally because that's, that's a piece Chris Marie, I think, when... I went to see her and she's like, didn't you actually talk about the things that actually happened? And I'm like, well, I felt like we did. And she was like, did you actually talk about the specific things? And I'm like, well, I, I thought we did. Uh, <laughs> and I guess, you yes. know, if I were to say, did we say, did this happen? Did this happen? Did this happen? I, I doubt it. But she has the same fragmentation piece I do, I think. Yeah. But we had enough. And I've, I've since read some of her work and I get, oh yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. But there's another example of where it's not like, if you really want me to tell you it's concrete and we, we said the exact same things, that's not gonna, that's not how either one of us have kind of put our world back together. So, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. And so that, that, that piece where you said the most important part was the, the becoming relational um, particularly with your mom or your family and being able to reconnect there after all those years, um, that that component came from um, a, a wonderful place in British Columbia. Um, do you want to yeah. speak a little bit about what happened there or how you learned to be relational versus right at that place? Well, sure. I mean, um, that place got introduced to me through my uh, one of my sisters who was, you know, we were, uh, I, I, this was when I had like the six months to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my sister was living on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. And she wanted to do something together. And it was like a friend of hers said, if I were you, I would not just try to, I, I can't imagine you two are going to have a good time just getting together. Like you don't really have a life that, so why don't you do this program, Come Alive? And so I, I, I figured I had nothing to lose at that point. So mm-hmm. I decided to come and we did, it's a five-day program up on Gabriela Island, which is in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And it 
at the time, the founders were two physicians who actually had discovered that healing took place more in when people were together connecting than ever than it ever had in their respective offices. Yeah. So they had become very intrigued by body, breath, energy, talking, connection, and how profound that was in health and healing. And um, so, I mean, I knew none of that. This, this, this woman who talked to me on the phone, she just said, I think you guys, if nothing else, you'll have a great five-day program on an island, and maybe you'll <laughs> learn something, and I think it's profound. I was like, okay, I'll go. And what I got there was, you know, well, one, it was where I learned about the profound impact of breath, not, you know, now we have also, now science is catching up. It's like, okay, <laughs> breathing is good for you. Um, at, you know, at the time it was, you know, they were following much more kind of Reikian breath work um, and not just, I mean, their recommendation was just breathe eight to 10 minutes a day. Try not to control it, you know? And I still think that is actually a very profound advice. Even with all the techniques we have now, I think, the best thing in the world is just to lay down and breathe with an open mouth without trying to control it. I still think that's the best thing because what you want to do is let go of control. Yeah. So they had something right from the jump. I was terrified of that because mm. if I let go of control, I, all this stuff would keep coming up. So, yeah. But they also knew that, hey, if there's people connecting, you don't have to, just in little ways, there's something that catches you that vibrational energy of people who don't really have all that much in common. I mean, the thing that always over like 30 years of being at Haven, the groups are like so diverse. They're not the same types of people, very different stories, very different lives, but somehow things happen in this energetic, emotional, I call it spiritual world of not being right or wrong, but being able to share who we each are and, maybe one or two people in the group feel like, Oh, I don't, I don't get that, but there's somebody else in the group who gets it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this resonance that occurs that allows for people to do much, I think deeper, more profound work because they're actually in this field of connection that um, mm -hmm. creates that possibility. And so that turned around my health because I went there and I was supposed to come back and have this surgical procedure where they were going to debunk the tumors because mm. I, I, my doctors didn't want me to go because it was too advanced. So that's another story in itself. But mm. I went and I came back and they, they went in and like the cancer was gone, you know, like no they tumors. Had to remove my, yeah. They <laughs> had to remove my appendix because it was like a, yeah, it's a long story about insurance at that point, but that was anyhow, the only way they would cover it is if you yes, did something while exactly, you were in there. Yes. So they just took out your appendix yeah. since you had no tumors anymore, which I, right. I what would, right. I mean, they must've been stunned. Well, you know, that's a funny thing about the medical model. The one, there was one physician who was, you know, she, she was actually the one who was like, I think we should test her before we do the surgery, but that mm. didn't happen. She just said, something is different. Huh. A lot of the medical model though was like, you know, we must have made made mistakes. This must not have. You must. It mm -hmm. couldn't be this. And so, you know, I'm like, this is after nine, almost a year of treatments. Like, you're going to tell me this never. I, I, talk about crazy, <laughs> yeah. but you know. Um, but I get. I mean, I. But now in my world, it being mm -hmm. a little more relational. <laughs> At the time, all I could think is, one of us is nuts. <laughs> you, you or me. So, me. But 
now I get, you know, from that world of medicine, if yeah. something doesn't work, you know, it's like, okay, then that must mean this. And that's, you know, um, having known a lot more physicians now, I appreciate the ones that can tolerate the tension of something yes. that doesn't fit. But I do get their world doesn't, isn't designed for that. Yeah. So I yeah. have a little more appreciation for that <laughs> than I used to. <laughs> yes. Well, and and so just, you know, on the cancer, uh, you, you write in the book, the cancer was going to be my way out. Instead, yes. it was my path in. So ultimately, yes. I mean, can you say a little bit more about that? Well, you know, I, so that I had that initial non-Hodgkin's, I had three other cancers that over the next few years and each mm -hmm. time, uh, you know, I, I have to, you know, the first time I was kind of like, well, I'd rather be dead than keep living with this hell. Mm -hmm. And, and it really did feel like that. Like I, I just can't do this. And as I had other cancers and health that, well, the cancers kept bringing forward, if I didn't want to look at some, the last one was an optic nerve tumor, which I always thought was interesting. Mm. Cause I was like, I don't want to look at this anymore. It's like, okay, well, that's an interesting dynamic, yeah. you know, and, um, realizing, okay, this is, that's, it's not, that's not an option, you know? Yeah. So you have to, well, you could not look at it, but then you may not, you're going to lose your sight. So right. how does like, sometimes that's literally how it felt. That's what it felt like. And okay, I, I have to look at this. So how do I keep living it? And this is where the fractal idea comes in. Okay. Like resilience in nature is, is, is all about these fractals that just keep exploding and going in different directions. They don't look, maybe they don't look like they're working, but mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in nature, nature doesn't, doesn't look back to, to figure out how to live forward. Mm. It, in nature, things live forward and lean into whatever is presenting. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I got. Like even cancer was a, my cancers, if I think of them as a cellular fractal, were a way to kind of wake me up. You know, yes. if I can see it um, in, in a, and I kind of look at it as a communication lens, my cells were like, we're cutting off from you. We're, yeah. <laughs> this is what we're doing to, we think it's about survival. You know, if I, it, you know, if I even think of everything in the body as living. So I could understand then, oh, I've got to be relational with my cancer. I have to learn wow. even this. I got to talk to these mm -hmm. tumors. I've got to figure out why this is going on and be more courageous about what I hear, not just, well, that doesn't make sense or I'm done with that. I don't want to keep looking I don't want to keep chat, you know, I don't want to keep throwing my life into this chaos. And eventually I got, okay, keep throwing yourself into the chaos. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And here you are all these yes. years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alive, thriving. <laughs> you know, I think part of why the book came through so clearly right now, because mm -hmm. it's been in process for a long time, was also because of COVID. Like mm -hmm. what I learned during these last two years, like, right from the jump with COVID and all that was happening in the world. It was like, wow, this reminds me so much of my own personal experience mm. with cancer. Mm. It was just like being thrown into this chaos that makes no sense that I don't understand that I can't, no one's given me the answer I need to hear. Um, and watching people try to deal with that uncertainty in the stuff, uh, everyone trying to deal with it in their own way. Cause there was not an answer. 
yeah. you know, globally, there was not an answer. So it was like all of a sudden the same thing that had happened to me in my 20s was kind of happening to everyone yes. in the world, you know, and it was like, wow, okay, I'm glad I had my experience back then because it's helping me stay sane right now. Yes. But I watched a lot of people be confronted for the first time with, I, I don't know, is this, you know, and we mm -hmm. still haven't, I don't think we're really, we may not have learned all we could from this yet, but there was, there's been a lot of people that have learned, oh, I don't have to keep living this crazy structured world that has to all fit together. Or I don't have to win. It's not about that. It's about, you know, coming, coming together, being more relational, finding a way through this. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, gosh, there are a couple of different directions I want to go and I have many more questions, but I do have to ask, um, just to briefly revisit, um, the, the, um, assault when you were four, um, mm -hmm. when you were there having the out of body experience, there was a voice while you were uh, there and it said, I am here, deep melodic voice, beautiful sound coming from the light. You were drawn farther from the limp shell now totally alone. And the voice then said, I am always here. It is not your time, but I will stay for now. You can remember me any time. Who was that? Mm -hmm. hmm. You know, I, I don't have, I believe, you know, I don't yeah. have like an answer, yeah. you know, um, I do know, uh, that I, I think I mentioned, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, when I, with the horses, I hear music. Yes. This voice is very much like that. Okay. Like I actually, and I don't know, I don't want to be the person here that says that that's a form of God. I don't know that, but I do know it's a, it's there. Something is there. And yeah. when, and that I, I don't know if you've, I sort of think of it. It was like, I don't have a, I, I did sort of think of, oh, this, if there was a God, this was a God talking mm. to me, someone saying in a language that I could hear something I needed to hear. Yeah. And I, you know, in all the different work I've done, I've seen that show up for people in so many different ways. Yeah. Not always in the voice like mine, sometimes in music and sometimes in, in all sorts of, in different languages, in different forms, somebody from their past, somebody, you know, literally they don't know but it's yeah. like oh i've got you yeah um so i think it's a kind of a universal energetic theme that is available to all of us yes and yeah but i don't so i don't have a like oh that's who this this is voice was <laughs> no i and i i wasn't expecting anything or anyone in particular okay. <laughs> i know you know you know the flavor of my show i have many near death experiencers on the show or or folks who do research or they're intuitives who work on the other side of the veil and oh, so good. yes <laughs> i just enjoy hearing the various unique experiences with that that energy that i think is it's out there <laughs> It's not that, I mean, there's so many ways in which that, mm. you know, I think in the book, I talk about when I was in the psych hospital and I was mm. like this, this it felt safe, like, okay, I can. And then I was very, I got very clear. I cannot be here, you mm. know, mm. and I got the, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily going to go back to Haven, but I was like, I'm just going to pick up the phone. I had no idea that. And I just called him and said, can I come? 
yeah. you know, and it was kind of like, I found out, I guess they had thought that that something may happen. I might be back, but I didn't understand, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. I, I believe that's the same kind of voice. It wasn't as crystal clear, but it, yeah, that guidance, like, yes. oh, pick up the phone, go there. Don't, this makes no sense, but it makes no sense to stay here. So go there, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I do think those things, it comes in different styles. Yes. <laughs> so, but you have, even the, yeah. oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, even, you know, this book has been a process for like 30 some years, but I did get very clearly, I got asked to speak uh, about a, about a year and a half ago at this thing. And I said, oh, this will be a good excuse to do the book. Like the book had been something I'd mm -hmm. said I was going to do. And, but it was that same idea, like this voice, just say yes to the speaking thing and do the, and do the book. And that's kind of how it finally became a book. And, you know, with a lot of support, but it, you know, that, that was the impetus. Cause up till then, I mean, Chris Marie would say, Oh my God, if you tell me one more time, you're going to write this book and you never write it. <laughs> you know, that part of her frustration <laughs> yeah. in my, you know, you know, so. it's always yeah. good to have, what do we talk about in our coaching <laughs> tradition, conative compliments. And so it's, yes. <laughs> Chris Marie's your, what is it? Quick start <laughs> to your yes <laughs> fact finder, perhaps. And, <laughs> yes. And you know, she's, she has actually done a great job of mm. even in her own way. She she takes what I've written and has actually found a frame to really work with it that yeah. I really like as well too. Because she is very good at like taking mm -hmm. my messiness. Uh -huh. and, okay, people, here's how we you know here's a way to think about this: the crazy, the crack, the warm, and the deep. And yes. that's you know that's a gift of hers that I think uh, is quite powerful. Yes. So, well, you know. obviously have gifts that complement each other. So, yes. <laughs> well, and that yes. does the, the, the whole, this sharing of your personal story, this memoir, um, really one of the main things that I see is that the, the power of story and you write that yes. over the years of sitting and circles and sharing stories, I have witnessed many miracles happen when stories of darkness are shared and brought to the light. Um, can you say a little bit more about that? The the power of these stories for healing and yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think that is um, like, our stories are like our music. It's like our way. And, and when people share stories, if we don't it is like music. It can, it, it really, if we don't get caught in trying to figure out the exactness of it, but yeah. listen to the lens of the story and yeah. pay attention. Yeah. Um, I think that's when healing takes place because it is, it's an energetic form of being expressed. And when somebody actually listens and hears it and catches it and maybe, you know, asks, maybe ask questions, but mostly just is like, wow, okay, this is, you know, and then, finds a way to stay in contact. I mean, people, I always think of people don't need to be fixed. I mean, they are looking for a fix nine times out of 10, but mostly they're just looking for a way to understand who they are in this moment and that they have resources and mm -hmm. that it's not, they're not crazy. They're not alone. Yeah. And so a story is a way to be able to share and hear and stories can be different. They don't have to be the same mm -hmm. and capture the essence of what is the same. That's kind of like the fractal, the pattern underneath it. Yes. You know, and that's a, that's how we can grow and continue. If we get, you know, if we don't allow that we get stuck. I mean, that's kind of the, I mean, I think that's why even 
you know, things like the Me Too movement or whatever. I'm, I'm really glad people are talking. But if we get caught in mm -hmm. how we're going to get retribution or how's this mm -hmm. going to, because that's where we always go next is right. how can we make this right? You can't, you can't make things right that have already happened. All you can do is learn from them and figure out how to do it differently going forward. You can't yeah. right the wrong. And that's where I think we so get stuck. I know? got, I have to say, I got stuck with that in your story. I wanted justice. I wanted vengeance. I wanted all of the things and, and yeah. your grace around where you have landed with that. I, it's, it's, uh, quite extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did have to move. Uh, I wanted that too, which I had to fight. I mean, the nice thing about living on an Island for a number of years was, you know, I, there was no way to. That was, I got, this is not going to be my path. I yeah. need to actually be okay that I can't make this right. Yeah. And I could still go there sometimes like, oh, but I really got, that would not help me. And I've watched people who finally hear, you know, that they were, you know, try, that, where they tried to get that retribution and it wasn't the retribution they needed. Right. You know, because it didn't actually help the, them become more whole. Yes. You know, yeah. it was like, yeah, you know, so... Yeah. yeah, it's it's a tough one, but I do think it's such a critical point for us right now. Absolutely. You know? And and so, you know, I think that's a we've got just a, less than two minutes left here. Um, so I will just say I think that's a beautiful place to bring us to a close. Um, the book that we've been talking about today is Crazy, Cracked, Warm and Deep. I've been speaking with the author, Susan B. Clark. Um, the website to find out more about Susan and her work, um, not only this memoir, but also her work uh, with her uh, partner in life and love, Chris Marie Campbell, and work and all of the good things, um, is thriveinc.com. That is thriveinc.com. And I just want to make sure you all, I mentioned a little freebie at the beginning of the hour. Um, if you want to take the work deeper uh, with Susan and find out more about what she does, um, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. And I believe there's a little offering there for you where you can learn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I, it yeah. is actually, I, I probably didn't say this. It's something we usually, mm -hmm. it's, we just have it on a great special right now and it's oh. a neat program. So oh, okay. if there is, it's probably not a freebie. So oh. I should put that out there, but go take a look at it. My mistake. I, you know, no, that um, was not your mistake. That was my mistake. Okay. I should have clarified that. Okay. My apology listeners. <laughs> But it brings together a lot of these things we've been talking about. And it's, you know, right now it's at a, a $47 price point and it's tons of materials that you can work with in whatever way you work. So, um, and I think it does speak to this, speak up. Yes. Know, yes. Be, yeah. Bring yourself forward. So. Yeah. Which you have done so beautifully in this memoir. Um, thank you for coming back on the show to talk about it and share more of your story, Susan. Well, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, you have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Uh, I am signing off for today. Looking forward to see you next week. Bye.